We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. It was the 20th of September 2005 when I stepped into the halls of Chichester University for the first time. I was uh, 19 years old and wasn't very organised, but amazingly, I got there early and there was hardly anyone else about. So I unpacked, uh, I went and found my room, unpacked my boxes and got everything out, set up my desk and just got myself ready for the next three years of university. I never really considered myself uni material and so I was a little bit nervous but I thought well once I get to know people I'll be alright. After a few hours, I heard some noise in the shared kitchen um, on the kind of floor that we were in, on the block that I was in in my halls. And my mum, like the wonderful mum that she is, um, had made me something that she thought would be a good way for me to introduce myself of others, and that was a fruitcake. Because, you know, what cool 19-year-old wants to bring a fruitcake to uni on their first day? But anyway, I thought, well, I'll take it out as a way of kind of introducing myself. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I took the fruitcake out into the kitchen and there was a family there dropping off their daughter. Well, when I clapped eyes on this girl, my world melted away. It was just all the background noise faded away. I just saw a smile and I stared at her. I was thinking, wow, if the next three years of uni are going to include people like this, well, this is going to be fantastic. And um, for the next six weeks or so, I, I would like regularly try to bump into this girl and get to know her more and more. I would take the long route around campus to go past the dance studios just to see if I could catch a glimpse of her and, and bump into her. I remembered one evening our whole kind of block of, was watching a film and uh, I just happened to be sitting next to her whilst we were watching this film and there was one point in the evening where her leg brushed against mine. Ooh, the tingles. There was another point where uh, her, her head found herself on my shoulder, electrifying. It was just amazing. And uh, that feeling of love first expressing itself just incredible, so powerful, connecting people in indescribable ways, something that we kind of all long for, it's just so powerful and intoxicating, it's, it's what many of the best films and novels and plays are based on, it's an incredible pursuit of love and feeling, that love's first kiss, the, the star-crossed lovers meeting, the, the kind of hope and the, the danger, the fear and the laughter, the danger and the warmth, the excitement and the trepidation. You know, in the middle of the Bible, there's an incredible book that expresses this amazing love, and it's called The Song of Songs. And yet, it's one of those books that are kind of rarely preached on on a Sunday, rarely spoken about, rarely even read by many Christians. Um, more than that, the communities that we live in would probably consider the church the very last place to go to for kind of romantic advice. For, for love advice and yet here in the middle of the Bible is an incredible book called the Song of Songs which is this amazing romantic story where all the romantic stories are come from really but just before we get into that in case you were wondering uh, in the second year 
I got engaged to that girl, and in the third year we got married. And sort of 17 years on now, we're obviously got two kids and uh, carry on in love as much as always. There we are on our wedding day. So, yeah, we're going to be in Song of Songs. And my name's Chris, by the way. Welcome to all those who are joining us. It's great to be together. And uh, we've just finished a series in Mark. We're about to start this new series, Loving People Towards Jesus. And, uh, and so this morning is a bit of a one-off Sunday morning talk. And um, actually, over the last few years, when there's been a one-off Sunday, we've picked some of the wisdom literature out of the Bible. And so we've, we've done Ecclesiastes on one Sunday. Um, we did Job on one Sunday not too long ago. And so for today, I thought, oh, well, let's pick another wisdom book, and that's the Song of Songs. Song of Songs, um, it's a little bit weird. It's a bit hard to kind of fathom. It's eight chapters about the romance between two people. And a lot of the time, we're not quite sure really what to make of it or what to kind of do with this book. Um, it's, a, it's really a collection of poems, actually, um, that are kind of brought together, but they do make a whole story. And we're not going to read the whole of the eight chapters, but what we will do is we will kind of glance in and out of it. So having your Bibles open to the Song of Songs will be helpful to you this morning. Before we get into it, let me, um, though, give you a bit of information about the book, just to help you to kind of know some stuff. Um, and I've got a couple of different commentaries on it, so if you want to read further, then you'll be, you can borrow them or something. You can. So um, it kind of sits with, like I said, the... Uh, wisdom literature like Ecclesiastes, Proverbs and Job even and and I guess one good question is what is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing how to live the good life as a creature in God's created and ordered world. Wisdom is really having a healthy understanding of who we are and of who God is. You know all the wisdom books will always talk about wisdom starting with the fear of the Lord. It, reminding us that we're merely created beings, but God is the creator. Wisdom is very practical. It's about following the paths that, um, of life that lead to human flourishing and peace. But wisdom isn't a promise. It's more like a principle. So, uh, you know, Proverbs will encourage us that those who rise early and go to work will flourish more than those who slumber all day and sleep. But that's not a promise, and it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes you can rise early, you can work really hard and yet feel like you're not flourishing at all. And the opposite can also be the same. So it doesn't always work like that. And actually Job is a wonderful book of a righteous, diligent, God-revering person who suffers extremely. But it is a principle that we can live by. It's good to get up, it's good to go to work. And that will lead to greater flourishing than just slumbering all day. It's principles. And so there's good principles within the Song of Songs. The Hebrew word for uh, wisdom is chokmah. And chokmah, like the English equivalent would be like know-how or skill. Uh, one way of saying it is like applied knowledge. So knowledge is one thing, but applying it is, is wisdom. And um, Song of Songs is, yeah, has lots of wisdom for us. Let me, and a few other things then to let you know about is that it's a collection of ancient Israelite love poems that celebrate the beauty and the power of God's gift of love and sexual desire. The, it's eight chapters long, and it's got no rigid kind of literary style. It's, and these collection of poems are meant to be read, though, as one flowing whole, rather than dissected. 
so you probably wouldn't get a series on this book because it is like it's one story really in chapter 1 verse 1 it tells us that it's called Song of Songs and that title is like an idiom it's a bit like King of Kings or Holy of Holies or Lord of Lords it's like this is the greatest song of all songs it's the one and only it's the highest above all things like the king is above all kings it's the greatest song um and it's really a love song between two lovers though there are other people and I'll tell you about some of the other characters in in a moment um Often it's known as the Song of Solomon, and so sometimes we think that Solomon wrote it. That's probably not the case, though. So some translations might say Solomon's Song of Songs. Others might say the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. And so while Solomon is mentioned in the songs a few times, he never actually speaks, and he is not the main voice. The main voice is a woman called the Beloved. And the male voice is also not Solomon. He's, he's a shepherd. I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. In fact, it's clear that in this love poem, the man and the woman, they only really have eyes for each other. And we know from other books of the Bible that Solomon had eyes for lots of different women. And so he's unlikely to have written it. So it's much more the case that the of Solomon bit is that it's in the wisdom tradition of Solomon's writings, like Ecclesiastes, which also wasn't written by him. In Israel, Solomon became known as the father of all wisdom. And so this poem bears his name because it contains lots of good wisdom. But it's probably not written by him. So let's talk about the characters. Um, So we've got the woman. This is the beloved, right? She's one character. She's like a young Shulamite woman. So she's not royalty. She's not the kind of nobility. She's kind of more like the village girl, that type type vibe. Um, it seems like her brothers are, are mean to her and they make her work out in the fields of the vineyards, so much so that she doesn't have much time to tend to her own beauty, which she's a little bit insecure about, which you'll find out. Working out in the fields means that she has a tan, which would be very different to the royalty who wouldn't be working out in the fields, so therefore wouldn't be sun-scorched and therefore wouldn't have a tan. They'd be much paler. Yet we find out early on that even though she has dark skin, she is beautiful. And she expresses her love in lots of ways and often speaks to the daughters of Jerusalem, so the, the other people. And she speaks about his qualities and her desire for him and what he means to her. She speaks to him and then... Uh, She speaks to him and she speaks to them and she speaks a lot in the book. In fact, most of the book is her talking either to the guy or to these other women, these other Jerusalem women. So you've got the woman, you've then got the man and this man is a shepherd. Throughout the book, the shepherd pretty much speaks solely of his beloved. He doesn't talk to anyone, he basically just speaks to her and he doesn't he doesn't address anyone else he just focuses on her and on her beauty and the couple are likely to be like betrothed or engaged in fact a bit like my story of dating throughout the book they are kind of caught this is like a court scene they're courting together throughout most of the book and they're in that real intense heated desire for one another and they're 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 looking forward to that day when they get married a bit like James and Alicia looking forward excited Um, But the marriage isn't just yet. Hold on. Um, And then you've got the the others. Um, So if this was read as a song, it's the moment when everyone else kind of gets a line to sing. You know, sometimes in church you 
someone re said something and then everyone else says something joins in. It's a bit like that. These are the others. And it's the moment when they sing. Um, they have quite a small part. Um, and so, yeah, certainly the main characters are them. And then uh, it's worth mentioning Solomon. Um, he's got no lines, but he seems to be like a contrasting figure. Sometimes he's mentioned like as a king, and that's where it gets a bit awkward because sometimes she talks about her beloved as the king, but then sometimes she's talking about a different type of king and she's clearly talking about Solomon. And it becomes really apparent at the end when he tries to buy her love that she refuses. Sometimes, yeah, like I said, he's referred as the king, um, and uh, yeah, he's, he's contrasted to the shepherd throughout. And so the real question is, throughout the story, is she going to go for love or is she going to go for money? Is she going to choose the shepherd or is she going to choose King Solomon? So let's, um, let's we're going to dive into a bit of it. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the structure. And it's got three kind of main parts, opening, middle and closing. So let's talk about the opening. Um, we're introduced in the opening to the characters and there's a middle cycle of themes in the middle and then we get the conclusion and so the opening poem introduces those key characters that I've mentioned um, I'm going to read a bit of the opening chapter because it gives us an idea of the book and how it's written most bibles actually in yours in front of you might say who's who's saying what so it might say he and she and then the others um, and so that's quite helpful um, and it's worth noting as well that the literary style is poetic and it's not literal. So when he describes her neck as a brick wall or her eyes as doves or her hair likes goats running down a mountain, it doesn't actually look, you know, she, she's like a beautiful woman that looks like me and you. Um, or maybe more like you than me. So here we go. So the Song of Songs, this is chapter one, verse one. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. I don't know if I've got this on the screen. Why not? No, I don't. Let him kiss me. So this is she. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. And then it says, the king has brought me into his chambers. And straight away you get this debate. Is she part of the king's harem and looked on favorably by him? Is this a past action by King Solomon? Is she referring to the shepherd and giving him attributes of a king? There is some debate, but I think what she is saying is, let us run away, draw me after you, let us run. But then she's saying, but King Solomon has showed me attention as well. But I want you. He even brought me into his chambers, so let us run. That kind of makes the most sense of, certainly this part of the chapter, but also the end. And then the others say, we will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly, do they all love you? And then she says, but I'm very dark, but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. That's her brothers. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. That word vineyard, it comes up a few times and it's like a euphemism for her own kind of sexuality and her attractiveness. She's not been able to spend time thinking about her beauty and her sexuality because her brothers have kept her busy working out in the fields he then says in verse 15 behold you are beautiful my love 
Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. And she says, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved. Truly delightful. Our couch is green. What a great way to woo someone. The beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. So that's the kind of opening of the book. We get these, these two lovers. We get this scene. Is she going to go after the king or is she going to stick with the shepherd? And he, he certainly has eyes for her. And then we get into this cycle of poems. Chapter two to seven is basically all these, these cycle of poems and they have different themes, which I'll talk about in a moment. And um, there's this section where the woman, she kind of dreams about the upcoming consummation of their marriage. And this takes place really from the start of chapter three to the start of chapter six. It's like she's in kind of like a dream state. And we can induce this because in chapter three, verse one, she says, on my bed by night, I sought him who my soul loves. And in chapter five, verse two, she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. The contents of this whole section kind of include fear and loss, sexual desire, and an imaginative transformation of the shepherd into a king-like figure, which is why it can get a bit confusing. And it also includes some nightmarish type scenes much like it's consistent in the dreams. So we've got the opening, you've got the, clo- you've got the middle cycle of poems, and then at the end, in the closing chapter, we find out who she finally chooses. Does she choose to go away with the shepherd, or does she choose to marry the king and go after his money? So before we get to the end, let me talk about these middle themes, all right? Here's, here's one. A theme of hide and seek comes up quite, quite a bit in it and so there is an intense desire that we see developed from the start where they are constantly looking for each other it's like like what I used to do when I used to go around at different halls of the university or different places in the uni see if I would I catch a glimpse of her they're constantly looking for each other they find each other they embrace even sometimes but they're only to be separated again and before then finding each other again and separating and this theme runs through it all so let me read a bit of it to you chapter two they're, here they are together. I might even have the words for this. I don't see. Yeah. As an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. This is her talking about him. With great delight I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I'm sick with love. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. So see, they've come together. But just like that, the poem stops and is interrupted with, verse 7, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases there's this like kind of refrain and this happens throughout the book where it says hey you know this is great we're getting close we're getting close to each other but warning don't stir up love until the right time it's like we're getting a bit too close and that refrain yeah keeps coming up and so she then says in verse 8 this is of chapter 2 the voice of my beloved behold he comes leaping over the mountains bounding over the hill so having separated they're now coming back together again and this uh, chapter three, it happens again. It says, on my bed by night, this, that was the bit about, um, you know, she's dreaming. I sought him whom my soul loved. She's longing for him. I sought him, but I found him not. I will arise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I found him not. The watchmen, they found me. 
as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? I cried. Scarcely had I passed them when I, when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go. So they've, they've separated and then they've, they've come back. This theme is hide and seek, going and coming, going and coming. But you also might have spotted this, the importance, yeah, that importance again. Don't stir up love until the right time. Sexual intimacy and arousal shouldn't be awoken until it's rightful place. Second theme is the joy of physical attraction. This is one of my favourite themes. Um, lots of times throughout the book, um, oh, I don't know what that says. Lots of times throughout the book, it says um, things like they describe one another in elaborate metaphors. And it's good to know that these metaphors are not visual ones, as I mentioned. But, um, and if you painted a picture of them, they wouldn't look attractive at all. But in keeping with the kind of Hebrew poetic style, they, they help, they describe one another. And so in chapter 4, verse 1 to 5, he describes her and he says stuff like this. Behold... You are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing, all of which bear twins, and not one, not one among them has lost its young. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't you like to be courted like that? Yeah, ladies, no? <laughs> Maddie's like, nah, no chance. Um, he, this, is, this is what he's doing. In it. He, I like this one in chapter 7. He goes, how beautiful you are and how pleasing my love of your delights. Your stature is like that of the palm and your breasts like clusters of fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and I will take hold of its fruit. <laughs> what a wonderful passage, eh? He's, he's in love of her and he's describing this love, this beauty, this physical attraction, this wonderful joy. And then in chapter 5, verse 10 to 16, she describes him. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies, dripping liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold, set with jewels. His body, his body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. You're probably wondering, where, where is he going with all this? Don't worry, the, the points will come. But it's good to just be in the book, explore it. The language is sensual. It takes into account sight and smells and touch. It's overwhelming. And you read through the poetic cycles, the tension building and heightening and then focusing on this mystery of love. It's that feeling that we all feel in those special relationships how they build it's the feeling that the best movies kind of display it's that longing that we all want to experience it's God's good design it's one to be celebrated and enjoyed but it's also dangerous and that's the third theme I just want to mention and that is the beauty and danger of it all so in chapter eight it says let me seal upon your heart as a seal upon your arm for love is strong as death. It's quite strong words, isn't it? Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, 
neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. They're like this poem, it highlights the power and intensity of love. And it's beautiful, but it's dangerous. It's a bit like fire, mesmerizing and amazing to look at, brings warmth and heat and beautiful. But handled incorrectly, it can be disastrous. There's nothing wrong with fire, but what can be wrong is with the attitude of the one who handles it. And the same is true of love. Love is amazing, but handled incorrectly, it can destroy lives. It can destroy people, literally, especially when love is abused. It can taint our view of ourselves, of others, of even love itself, but protected and treated with careful attention, it can be more valuable than all the wealth of Solomon's kingdom. Ultimately, this poem it expresses the human desire and longing to know and to be known by another. Something that's transcended all cultures, all countries, all time periods, all seasons. The book never goes out of date. And so we've looked at the start, we've looked at the cycles in the middle. Just before I give some application, let me, let's just dive into the closing section. This is where it kind of comes together. So she has said, um, which we've just read, that you wouldn't offer, yeah, if a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. And in chapter 8, verse 11, it says this, that Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Haman. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. So, so what it's saying is that Solomon lets out his vineyard to many keepers. The fruit produced was so abundant and good that it's greatly profitable. His vineyard is a euphemism for his sexuality and he's enticing the beloved to come and be with him and showing her that if she were to do that, she wouldn't regret it. He lets out his vineyard to others and they receive thousands of pieces of silver from the fruit of that union. It's very good. It's very profitable. And so, and, and yet what's remarkable is that she's literally just said that if a man offered all for love all the wealth of his house, he would be despised. And yet that's the very thing that kind of is offered here by Solomon. And so in response in verse 12, she says, no, my vineyard is my very own and it's before me. You, O Solomon, you may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit 200. It's like you can have it, but my vineyard is my own and she's saying that you can keep it to yourself and the book ends in these last few verses and they say this oh you this is him the man the beloved now the shepherd is saying oh you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice let me hear it this is verse 13 and she responds make haste come to me my beloved be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the mountain of spices end of the book I always think, why does she have to put the oar? Why not be like a young stag? Why not? Who wants to be like a gazelle coming? You know, I want to be like a young stag. But anyway, she, that's how she, she goes with it. That's all good. So this poem, it shows us that she does indeed. She chooses the shepherd. She chooses love, not money. Love is something that you can't buy or earn. And after all, aren't all those best films about you know, aren't all those best films are the ones where basically the, the, the woman chooses or the man chooses not for money or prosperity or whatever, but actually chooses her first true love. It's the song of all songs. 
It's the love story of all love story. These two lovers, they're able to enjoy their sexual desires for one another in its rightful place as they now come together, as they've, they've longed and panged and waited. They stayed off proposals from other rich people and they embrace. And scholars say that the last poem refers to a poem of love um, that is depicted in traditional weddings. You often get those kind of phrases used, those last few phrases used in traditional weddings. And so um, we, they assume that this is then their consummation that they get married. But the story doesn't really end. And I guess that's because there's always more to discover and more to pursue in your beloved. Love, intimacy, desire, it doesn't end at the wedding day doesn't end at the proposal but it goes on and there's more to be discovered throughout married lives and so here we go why is it in the bible why is it in the bible that's a good thing and the first thing there's two things i want to point out one is that it's because love and intimacy and sex is a gift from god and we did a series not long ago didn't we about sexuality and gender and and a bunch of that came out and it's a good to be reminded of this that god created sex as a gift for us to enjoy it's been corrupted by sin but almost I'll say it again, every book, every movie, that kiss and chase scene, the two star-crossed lovers meeting, these two lovers in the poem, they show us how love is meant to be intended in its rightful form. Not to be stirred up before the right time, but in God's perfect timing. We see the woman keeping us in suspense and reminding us that passion has a right timing too. And you've probably... Uh, yeah like I said throughout the time I've been thinking or talking you've probably been thinking how how does this story relate to us and and God and um, it does it does but I, I want us to keep us in the kind of relationship part of this story first because it's really easy especially with Paul's writing in Ephesians about Christ's love for his church and his pursuing his church and his bride and describing us as a bride. It's easy to go there quickly, but I think before we do, it's important for us to stick in here. And recently, the archaeological evidence has shown that love poetry was a big part of ancient Egyptian and Babylonian culture, and it's portrayed in very similar ways to Song of Songs, actually. And so theologians reflect that we should see Song of Songs first and foremost as a poem primarily about love and sexuality and God's gift to his people, that we should celebrate it, that we should think about it, that we should speak about it, that we should teach our children about it, that we should talk about how the best place for relationships and sex and intimacy should be in that place of one man and one woman in marriage. Primarily, this is about two lovers enjoying God's wonderful gift of sex and desire. It's a book about longing, um, and it's a book about being known and being known and a book about covenant relationship that no money can buy it's a book about um, it's a book that we should read and yeah, that we should teach our children that we should disciple couples with that we should encourage one another with as a community to talk about our relationships and how they're doing and how you're getting on and how's, how's it going it's a book about this wonderful and mysterious gift of sex that God gives people and the importance of keeping that between one man and one woman in marriage and not stirring it up beforehand. And so if you're in a relationship, a good question for you to think about is, how's it going? How's your marriage? How's your, how's your relationship? How, how, is it, how are you getting on? And if you're not married, but perhaps you're, you're, you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, how are you doing? Are you waiting to stir up love in its right time? Or have you dumped, 
jumped straight in. It's dangerous. It's like fire handled incorrectly. It's wisdom. It's actually, it's wisdom to wait. It's wisdom to revere God. It's wisdom to follow his understanding, to, to trust in what he says when he talks about bring, having relationships together with one another. And it's also wisdom to then enjoy that relationship in its rightful place. So it's good, again, it's good to ask those two, two things. If you're, in a, if you're in a relationship and not married yet, how are you doing at kind of keeping love abated, not stirring up too many feelings? If you are in a married, how are you doing at stirring up those feelings? How are you doing at connecting, at having date nights, at meeting one another's needs, at sharing one another, enjoying one another? You know, we live in Guildford, and which you know, and it's a town which has the highest or one of the highest rates of divorce, not just in England, not just in the UK, but in the whole of Europe. Top ten every year, without fail, for the last ten years, divorce rates. There is so much that the church can offer to one another and to our community in supporting marriages and relationships in being strong, in working together, in connecting, in, in growing and in developing. And so actually as a church in, the, in June, at the beginning of June, we're going to start a marriage course. And we're going to do seven sessions. First six will be on, on Zoom. They'll be on Monday evenings. And I want to encourage everyone who's married to get involved in that marriage course. The, so the first six will be on Zoom. And then the last one, we're going to hire a nice venue and we'll, all, we'll do it in person. And um, you can start to sign up for it already. You can access it through Church Suite. And it'll be, it's going to be, I, th- I believe, we did it two years ago at the start of the pandemic and it was really valuable and helpful to people. And do you know what? It's also something that we can offer to our community. Most of the course, it's, it's Christian in terms of principles, but it's not overtly Christian in nature. And all those that did it last time will know that. There's lots of great principles. And so we want to offer it wide out to our community, to our friends, our school friends. Some people did it last time who were, you know, friends from the school gate or uh, others who weren't Christians and they loved it and they gave really good feedback. And so I want to encourage you to be thinking about who can you invite? How can you get on? How can we support people in our community to grow strong relationships? And we'd also say that if you've got friends who are not married, but they've been living together for over two years, this will be great for them too. It will help them to strengthen their relationship and to make sure, especially when there's kids involved, to make sure there's a safe, good home where they can bring good principles into their marriage to support and strengthen them. But you're right. This book isn't all about sex and relationships. It's also about this amazing divine romance. Throughout the book, there was clearly loads of garden imagery, hence my shirt for today. Loads of garden imagery and the people of Israel at the time when they first heard this, they would be thinking back to Genesis. They'll be thinking about Adam and Eve and in in Genesis, Adam and Eve have a perfect union with each other and with God and they have a choice. Are they going to trust in God's wisdom for life 
or are they going to take hold of their own wisdom? Now they choose to trust in their own wisdom and they go their own way and we find that they're discarded, they're separated from God, their, their relationship is strained, they become ashamed of their nakedness. Adam and Eve, they, Adam blames Eve for his sin, sin um, Eve blames the serpent, they kind of, they're kind of naked together and they, they don't like it, they're sun scorched as they've taken outside of the garden, outside of the shade of trees and this, throughout this book we see that whilst this woman might have dark skin, she's beautiful in his eyes we see multiple times her basking in the shade of his tree and enjoying its fruit in fact all the wisdom books like proverbs and ecclesiastes and job talk about trees and shade and bathing and we see both lovers sitting under this tree not out of the garden out in the sun out from uh, goodness and fellowship but right in it right in the middle enjoying wonderful union together all her insecurities about herself are gone away and he chooses her and he looks at her and he only has eyes for her and he pursues her and her insecurities they fall away and all her, her kind of her trepidation actually they, they all go away too and she she expresses love to him and loves him and and goes with the shepherd rather than going with anyone else. She kind of says no to any of the idols of money, wealth and power and says, I've only got eyes for my beloved. And the book reminds us of this wonderful, free, unmerited, unearned, undeserved gift of love that we can receive from God. Like in the story, it cannot be bought. Like in the story, we can't be separated, but God has found us. He pursues us. He longs us. He doesn't leave us out in the sun and in the scorch and in our sin, but he brings us into his shade. He refreshes our soul. And Jesus, he is the true shepherd of the story. He is the shepherd that looks after his sheep. He's the one that leaves the 99 and goes after the one. He is the one that leads his sheep to green pasture. He's the one that makes them lie down. He refreshes their soul. He is a wonderful shepherd who comes for his bride who is pursuing and who he loves and who he cares for and he has eyes for you and for you and for you and he loves you and he calls you to come to him to lay down the other idols that might look great they might look wonderful they might have all the prestige and all the power and all the wealth but he says no come to me absolutely it's a book about sex but it's also about a book about this wonderful divine romance and God's pursuit for his bride through his son Jesus And it reminds us that whether you're married or not, whether you're currently in a relationship or not, whether you're singled or divorced or widowed, the most incredible love song, the most incredible desire that you will ever know is Christ's love and his desire for you as he pursues you and he loves you and he's for you. And regardless of your earthly relationship status, you can know an incredible intimacy with God that eclipses all other relationships, which after all, let's be honest, they're all temporary. Because in the new heavens and the new earth, in the new Eden, there will not be married. People won't be given in marriage. We'll all be single. But we'll all be a bride united to our wonderful groom, Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you're a single, while sex is a gift from God to be enjoyed in marriage, sex is not God. You know, sexual union and marriage is a demonstration to the world of the gospel as we come together, we unite together. But a fulfilled and contented single person is also a wonderful demonstration of God's gospel to the world and to the church. After all, yeah, like I said, the eternal future for every single one of us is contented singleness, just like Jesus lived on this earth and not marriage.
So let's get the band back up. Um, that's the song of all songs. This wonderful love song, the song that um, is kind of the epitome of all other love stories. This amazing story of God sending his son Jesus to come to pursuing a bride, this wonderful shepherd who's coming after us. He won't let us down. He won't leave us. Uh, this God of creation pursuing his created, who's, who's running after his beautiful bride, who promises he'll never leave you or forsake you or let you down. He's a wonderful shepherd. He's a wonderful father. He's a wonderful husband. He's a wonderful groom to every single one of us who call ourselves Christians as we are, as we are embodied in to Christ. And it's wonderful wisdom for every single one of us in our relationships too. Let's stand together. Um, and uh, I'm just going gonna, gonna to pray and then we're going to worship again and thank God for this his gifts to us in his word yeah heavenly father we do we want to start in that place lord of of surrender of declaration saying lord god that we want to focus our eyes on you and on you alone lord i thank you for uh, how throughout this whole song of songs uh, the beloved the, the woman while she was a yeah, Shulamite woman, perhaps out of the royalty, out of nobility, Lord, she didn't seek after fame and wealth. Actually, she pursued the shepherd. She pursued her beloved. And Lord, I pray, would you help us as a people of God to pursue you, to look to you, to only have eyes on you, to focus on you. Help our hearts, Lord God, to be focused on you. Help us to trust you and to love you. And we thank you for this kind of strange book and we pray Lord God that you'd actually just inspire us again this morning to to seek you first in your kingdom and um, and I pray Lord God that, that each of it and every one of us would know your heart's desire for us that we'd know your spirit filling us and you looking to us and uh, having your hand on us and so we do we pray for that Lord we also want to pray we want to pray Lord God for our children for our teenagers for our young adults Lord for our middle aged people for our older people Lord we pray for our marriages for those who are married we pray for um, those who are single Lord and, and I pray Lord God that wherever we are on the relationship spectrum wherever we are in terms of our relational status actually I pray Lord God that you would help us strengthen relationships all across our church thank you for um, for the marriages in this room we we bless you for them we pray Lord God your abundance and fruitfulness in them we pray for strengthening of marriage across our church and I pray Lord God you'd have your hand on them help us together Lord God be a great wonderful example to our communities to our neighbours to our families and our friends of how marriage how, how sex and desire can be really kind of done well in the context that you've given us for it but, but Lord Lord we just recognise that that's not the state for everyone and that you've given us the body, the family of Christ to enjoy relationships with. Thank you, Lord God, that even outside of the marriage relationship, we can know intimacy and connection and love of one another. We can share and we can be cared for. And I, and I pray, Lord God, that again, across this room, for all those who perhaps are not in a relationship right now, 
for those who might be widowed or divorced, who, who maybe are, are longing, they're in those longing pains, they're wanting it, but it's not happened just yet. Actually, I pray, Lord God, for every single one of us that we would know our deepest desires all met in you. Yeah, but be with us, I pray. Fill us with your spirit. We, we love you, we worship you. We look to you, our great High shepherd. Amen. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.